Bhagwan, why do I always get sexually excited when I see a beautiful woman? Nandakishore, the first thing is that you are an Indian. It is very difficult for an Indian not to get excited when he sees a beautiful woman. Long, long repression. Your unconscious is full of repressions. So you don't miss any opportunity. Of course you don't sow it. It is courageous of you that you have asked the question. Nothing is wrong in being sexually excited by seeing a beautiful woman. You are simply paying a compliment to her, that's all. You are saying she is beautiful and attractive. In a better understanding world, you will simply go to the woman and thank her and she will accept your compliment with gratitude. If a woman passes and nobody gets excited about her, nobody ever, that is really a miserable thing to go through. I was a professor in a university for a few years. One day it happened, I was sitting in the vice-chancellor's room. A girl came. She was crying and weeping. And she said that one boy is continuously teasing her. He throws small stones at her, writes love letters to her. The Vice-Chancellor was, of course, very much angry. I was sitting there, so he told me, Can you help this girl? Can you console her? I asked the girl that if nobody ever teased you and nobody ever wrote a love letter and nobody threw pebbles at you, would that be right? Will you be happy? Her tears disappeared. For a moment she was shocked. Then she said, I have never thought it in that way. I said, that will be real misery. This simply shows that somebody is interested in you. Go to him and thank him. Nothing is wrong in it. 
he is simply a little foolish. He does not know how to pay compliments to a beautiful girl. Send the boy to me, I will teach him few things. <laughs> he needs a little tuition. He has no intuition. And you need not be worried and you not be, need not be crying. This is natural. You are, Nandakesar, one of the species of animals. Man is an animal unless he becomes a Buddha. If you become a Buddha and then you are excited by seeing a beautiful woman, come and ask the question, then it will be something worth asking. Because then it will be a problem. But you are not a Buddha. Meanwhile, enjoy. Once you become a Buddha, then I cannot help, nobody can help. Then even if you want to get down, there is no way. It is an animal instinct, as much in animals as in human beings. Yes, it has to be transcended, but by depression you cannot transcend. Accept it. Acceptance is the first step towards transcendence. And don't feel guilty about it. It is not a sin. When you see a beautiful sunset, you don't feel any guilt. When you see a beautiful flower and you are attracted, you don't feel any guilt. When you see a beautiful face of a man or a woman, why should you feel guilty if you are attracted? If you want to look back, if you want to go close and have a closer look, why you should feel guilty about it? But that's how you have been taught for centuries. If you go closer to the woman, the woman will start shouting for the police. And you will start finding excuses. Nobody looks into each other's eyes. It is thought to be offensive. Even if you want to look into some beautiful eyes, you cannot. Only three seconds it is allowed. How all over the world people have come to agree on three seconds is something mysterious. Just for three seconds you can look at somebody and the other will not be offended. If you look more than that, 
the other feels offended. Maybe there is a reason. You don't know how to look at the others. You don't know how to look gracefully. Maybe your look is ugly. And it is bound to be ugly if you are carrying much repressed sexuality. Your look will be pornographic. Deep down in your imagination, you will be undressing the woman. And she feels offended. Who are you to undress her? Even in your fancy. Your look is ugly. It looks as if you are penetrating her being. As if you have found a substitute for sexual penetration through the eyes. You are reducing her into a thing. And nobody wants to be reduced into a thing. Your look has no respect in it. If your look has respect, if your excitement has beauty, grace, there is no problem. Yes, it has to be transcended one day, because this is also a duality, man-woman. The same duality as between positive and negative, birth and death, summer and winter. It has to be transcended. One has to come to a point from where nothing disturbs your coolness, nothing distracts you from your centers. But the way to come to it is not repression and kisore. The first step is acceptance. It is natural. Accept it as part of your nature, as part of your biology. And then try to understand it, watch it, observe it, witness it. Slowly, slowly, as your witnessing will grow, you will go beyond it. One day, you will not find any difference between a man and a woman. You have gone beyond sexuality. That is true brahmacharya, true celibacy. But it is not what has been told to you. In the name of celibacy, sex has been repressed for centuries and you have become just full of sexuality. Rather than transcending it, you are boiling within. In order to find out whether his wife was cheating on him, a man bought a parrot. The parrot was an amazing bird, but in a fight had lost both legs and had to balance itself on its pelvis. One day the man questioned the parrot and found out that his wife was in fact cheating on him. Quickly he asked the parrot, what happened? The parrot said, first your wife was kissing a strange man. And then she started to take off her clothes and then interrupted the man and then they both got on the bed and then cried the man 
then she pulled on the blankets and then and then i don't know said the parrot i fell over <laughs> in a for today beloved bhagwan tell me the way from sexuality to love amit prem sex is beautiful sexuality ugly and the difference has to be understood sex is a natural phenomenon sexuality is unnatural abnormal pathological when sex becomes cerebral when sex enters in your head it becomes sexuality now the head is not the center for sex it is getting into a confusion it is getting upside down it is getting deranged sex is not the function of the head but when sex enters in through the head it becomes sexuality then you think about sex then you fantasize about sex and the more you think the more you fantasize about it the more you will get into trouble because then nothing real will ever satisfy you because there is no limitation on fantasy and reality is limited for example if you start thinking too much about sex you can create beautiful women women which are only in your fantasy and you will never find them anywhere in the world are men you will never come across them no real women or men will ever satisfy you because of the fantasy no real man and woman can fulfill your expectations of fantasy fantasy is fantasy it is dream you can fantasize a woman who does not perspire whose body has no body smell you can fantasize a woman who is always sweet and never bitter you can fantasize a woman who is always loving and warm and welcoming and never nags you and is never angry never throws pillows at you you can fantasize a woman who never ages who remains always stuck at 18 years of age who is always fresh always young always beautiful never falls ill never makes any demands on you never betrays you never looks at any other man with longing 
with desire. You can fantasize to no limit, but you will not find this woman anywhere. Now you have created a problem. You are no more naturally attuned to your sex. Nature is perfectly capable to be fulfilled, but fantasy cannot be fulfilled. Your woman you may find in girly magazines, in pornographical books, but you will not find in reality. And whosoever you will find in reality will fall sarge. That is the problem the West is facing. It has fantasized too much about sex. The West has become sexual through fantasy. The East has become sexual through repression. Both have become sexual and both have lost natural capacities of enjoying sex. Both have become pathological through different routes. West has become pathological by fantasizing sex as the ultimate goal of life. And East has become pathological by thinking that sex is the ultimate barrier between God and man. Sex is neither. Neither it is the ultimate goal nor the ultimate barrier. Sex is a simple phenomenon as hunger, as thirst. There is nothing more to it. It is neither what the Eastern mind has been thinking about it. The Eastern mind is too much afraid of sex. Out of fear, sex has moved into the head. Through the door of the fear it entered into the head. So the Eastern so-called saints are simply fantasizing about sex because they have repressed it and that which you repress goes on coming up again and again. It cannot be destroyed. Nothing can ever be destroyed by repression. Repression makes sex pathological sexuality. This is one extreme. The West has moved to another extreme. The another extreme is fantasize about it. Sex is all. Everything else is secondary. So have as much sex as you can. But you cannot have too much sex. There are limitations to the body. But you can fantasize as much as you want. There is no limitation to it. So pornography exists. Blue films exist. Girly magazines exist. And people are being fed on these illusory mirages that no woman, no real man will ever satisfy you. 
दीज बोथ आर पैथोलॉजिकल स्टेट्स सेक्सुअलिटी इज पैथोलॉजिकल वेदर यू कम टू इट थ्रू ग्रीड आर फियर डज नॉट मैटर ईस्ट हैज बिकम इल थ्रू फियर वेस्ट हैज बिकम इल थ्रू ग्रीड ग्रीड एंड फियर आर टू एस्पेक्ट्स ऑफ द सेम क्वाइन so on the surface it looks very different that east and west are poles apart they are not those who know those who can see they can see it is the same foolishness the same stupidity they have arrived to the same stupidity from different doors that is true but they have entered into the same place and both have to be awakened and both have to be made more enlightened about sex don't make much fuss about sex either way that is the first fundamental if you want sex to become love the first fundamental is accept sex as if absolutely natural phenomenon don't bring your metaphysics to it don't bring your religion to it it has nothing to do with religion or metaphysics it is a simple fact of life it is a way how life produces itself it is as simple as the trees bringing flowers and fruits you don't condemn the flowers flowers are sex it is through the flowers the tree is sending its germs its potentiality to other trees when a peacock dances you don't condemn it when a peacock dances you don't condemn it but the dance is sex it is to attract the female when the cuckoo calls you don't condemn it it is sex the cuckoo is simply declaring that i am ready the cuckoo is simply calling forth the woman the sound the beautiful sound is just a seduction it is courtship if you watch life you will be surprised the whole life is through sex life reproduces itself through sex it is a natural phenomenon don't drag it into unnecessary rationalizations this is the first thing to be understood if you ever want any transformation of sex energy the first thing is don't deny it don't reject it don't repress it don't be too much greedy about it 
you don't think that this is all. This is not. There is much more to life. And sex is beautiful. Still, there is much more to life. Sex is only the foundation. It is not the whole temple. Repressed, it becomes sexuality. Fantasized, it becomes sexuality. One is a Eastern way of transforming sex into pathology, the other is a Western way. But nobody, either in the East or in the West, accepts that sex is a simple natural phenomenon. Neither the saints nor the sinners, nobody accepts sex to be a simple natural phenomenon. Both are obsessed with it. Hence I say both are not different. Sex accepted, respected, lived becomes love. Just as I was saying to you the other day, when sadness is there, accept it. It is you. Don't say, I am sad. Say, I am sadness. Don't say, I have sadness. Simply say, I am sadness. When you say, I am sad, it seems it is something accidental. When you say, I have sadness, it means as if you are separate and sadness is something that you have. Simply say, I am sadness. In that moment, there is no division between you and what you call sadness. That moment, you are sadness. Next moment, you may be peace and still next moment you may be joy. Life is change. Life knows only one thing as permanent and that is change. Only change is unchanging. Everything else changes except change. That means only change has eternity. It is a continuum. You are not a fixed thing. And it is good that you are not a fixed thing. Otherwise you would have been a thing, a commodity in the marketplace. You are a no thing. You are not a fixed phenomenon. You are a constant opening. You are change. One moment there is sadness and the river takes a turn. Another moment there is joy and the river still takes a turn and there is peace. And it goes on and on. The moment has to be accepted in its totality. It is you. When there is sex, there is sex. It is you. Don't say that I have a sexual desire. 
That is a way of dividing yourself. That is a way of creating a split. If you have a sexual desire, then there are two possibilities. If you are against it, repress it. That is the Eastern way of becoming mad, insane, pathological. The other ways I have the sex desire, how to enhance it, how to make it more intense, how to enjoy it to the optimum. That is the way of the greed, the Western way. But the end is the same. The end product is the same. Both become obsessed with it. Just let it be. Whatsoever it is, it is you. You don't have a sex desire. If you have a sex desire, then something can be done to sex desire. If you are it, nothing can be done about it because there is nobody else to do. You are it. This has to become the meditation of all my sannyasins. You are it. There is no division. Just see the beauty of it. When there is no division, there is no conflict. When there is no division, there is no fear, no greed. It is division that brings fear and greed. Greed and fear are your interpretations of the division. But the division is first and then come your interpretations. The sex desire is there. You take it as something separate that is happening to you. It is like a thing in your hands. Now you have to decide whether you want it more or less. As if it is something that you can have more or less. It is as it is. There is no more, no less. Simply live it, be it, love it. This is your moment. This is the truth of the moment. And never compare. Because one moment before it was not there. So don't start comparing. Because comparison again brings a split. Next moment it may be gone again. Don't compare. Life is change. That's what Buddha has said. Life is change. That's what Heraclitus has said. You cannot step in the same river twice. The life, the river is constantly moving. Deep down, you want life to be static. Why? Because with a static and dormant life, you will be more safe, more secure. But life is not dormant. Only death is dormant. Life is dynamic, flowing. The more flowing, the more alive you are. Life is not a stagnant pool. It is a river. It is Ganges. Coming from the Himalayas, going to the ocean. Coming from heights, going to the depths. 
and again from the ocean, the Ganges will evaporate from the depths to the heights, and again the clouds will gather on the Himalayas, and again the river will be born. It is a beautiful, perfect circle. That's how you move. Each moment has to be accepted as it is, with no condemnation, with no evaluation. And when you can accept sex as natural, it stops being cerebral, it drops from the head, it goes to the sex center, where it belongs. If sex remains in the sex center, it is beautiful. If it goes to the head, it is ugly. Eating is beautiful. You are hungry and you eat and it is needed. It is nourishment. But then there are two types of people. Few people eat too much. Too much eating means head has entered into it. When you are eating, the body always is sane. The body always says to you, stop now. It immediately gives you an indication, a signal that it, it is enough. Now stop. No more is needed. My needs are fulfilled. But the head says, it is so tasty. It is so delicious. Have one plate more. It is head. It is not the body. The body is recoiling. The body is saying no. Body is always sane. And this is one of the fundamentals I would like to tell you. Down the ages your so-called sins have been telling you that the body is your enemy. It is not. The body is always your friend. If there is some enemy, it is the head, never the body. Body is always sane. You watch. I am not talking philosophy. I am simply stating a fact. You see yourself. If you are ill, the body says don't eat. But the head says if you don't eat, you will become weak. So much vitamins are absolutely needed. You will become pale. You will not be strong. This is the head. The body is saying you are ill. And to eat will be unnecessarily burdening the system. The system needs rest. It is better not to eat. And that's how animals do. No animal will eat when the animal is ill. He simply stops eating. That's what children do. No children will eat. But grown-ups will force. They will say eat, otherwise you will become ill. You will become more weak. You need it. They force. You can see small children crying and their mothers forcing. Eat a little more. It is the head that creates the trouble. 
And then there are people who will fast when there is no need for fast. The body is hungry. But if you are a jena and the parushana have come, your religious days, you have to fast. The body is hungry and the body wants food, but you cannot eat because unfortunately you are a jena and the religious days are there and if you eat, you will be thrown into hellfire. It is a head interfering. The body says eat, but unfortunately you are a mumdan and it is the month of Ramjan. And you have to fast. Now this is a head interfering. Head interferes in two ways. Either it makes you indulgent or it makes you repressive. Again, one is the eastern way, another is the western way. Eat more than is needed. This is indulgence. Don't eat when the body needs food. This is fast. This is repression. It is always the head that interferes. It interferes in your food, it interferes in your sex, it interferes in your sleep. It goes on interfering in everything. Remember the Zen master, the great Zen master Bukoju. Somebody asked him, what is your discipline? He said, no discipline at all. When I feel hungry, I eat. And when I feel sleepy, I sleep. And no other discipline. The man said, but this is what we all do. And Bokuji said, no. It is very rare to find a person who does it. Because one who does it becomes a Buddha. Only a Buddha can do it truly. You don't eat according to the needs of the body. You don't sleep according to the needs of the body. You go on imposing your head needs on the body. That interference makes everything pathological. That's how sex is disturbed and becomes sexuality. If sex is accepted, respected, lived, it becomes love. Amit Prem, you ask, tell me the way from sexuality to love. The way is first... Sexuality has to come back to sex. Directly there is no way, no root. From sexuality to love there is no root. Simply there is no root. Nothing can be done about it. From sexuality to love there is no root. Because sexuality is in the head and love is a heart phenomenon. From sexuality come back to the sex center. From sex to love, there is a direct route. They are bridged. In fact, nothing is needed to be done. Just live your sex moments with utter joy, silence, peacefulness, with celebration. Live your sex moments meditatively. 
and meditation transforms sex into love. Not only that sex becomes love, one day it becomes prayer, worship. It goes higher and higher. The highest form is prayer. The lowest form is sex. Between the two is love. Love is the bridge. And sexuality is abnormal. It is pathological. It is ill. So whether you have chosen a path of being pathological like the Eastern people or like the Western people, it doesn't matter. Accept your life as it is. And let the acceptance be as total as possible. When you don't fight with yourself, your energy starts falling into a subtle harmony. And that harmony brings you to love. And when the harmony becomes more and more refined, it brings you to prayer. And unless sex has become prayer, remember, the goal has not been achieved. Bhagwan, I have been here nine months and I am giving birth to my first question. Today in lecture you said, sex is tiring. For me, sex is the sweetest explosion of music, color, light, brimming and bursting every cell of my being. It is slipping the net of my skin melting with love in God's arms, being exclusively lost, out of time, out of mind, being God, and those words don't say it. It is these experiences that led me to you. I don't even have a glimpse of the stupidity of sex. Sex is my source of deepest realization and boundless energy as well as highest bliss, the opposite of tiring. Do men find sex more tiring than women, or do I just have so far to go towards dropping it, or what? Please comment. Apurna, your experience is perfectly valid. But because it is such ecstasy, such excitement, how long you can go on repeating it? Sooner or later a moment arrives when it will become repetitive. The same and then it will start losing its joy. That moment it becomes tiring. Your experience is perfectly valid, but very limited. Life is far more 
it begins in sex but it doesn't end in it i am perfectly happy that you are enjoying your sex enjoy as much as possible while it lasts and the more you enjoy it the sooner you will be tired but no need to worry about that i had been answering somebody else question who is tired of it he has lived all these joys he has played with all these toys you are giving big names to those toys these are all teddy bears you can call your teddy bear god and nothing is wrong when a child is carrying his teddy bear and calling him god and cannot go to sleep without it it is very relaxing and if you take the teddy bear he becomes very tense even dirty teddy bears and he will carry even parents feel ashamed because if they are going on a holiday he is carrying his teddy bear dirty smelly <laughs> but the child cannot live with without it it is his very life but one day hopefully <laughs> he will be tired of it and he will throw it in a corner and will forget all about it forever it is really difficult to answer your questions because one person's question is relevant only to him and the answer that i give is relevant only to him it may not be your experience just one day i said that homosexuality is a perversion immediately few letters arrived very angry because there are few homosexuals and they said what are you talking we have come here only thinking that you accept all that you don't reject don't condemn anything i have not condemned but the question and the answer were for a particular person you need not be worried about it it may not be relevant to you to a homosexual homosexuality is religion his religion 
he does not believe in heterosexuality. He thinks the heterosexuals are a little perverted. Are at least very orthodox, out of date people. Should not exist anymore, are no more contemporaries. What nonsense they are talking about. To the heterosexual, the homosexual seems to be very perverted, animalistic, even below the animals. And to the homosexual, the heterosexual is animalistic, because homosexuality is the invention of man, the superior man. Animals are not homosexual, at least not in their wild state. In zoos, sometimes, yes. But there they become affected by human beings. They learn from human beings. But in wild, they are not homosexuals. So homosexuality is something special that man has discovered. It is a defining phenomenon. Just as Aristotle says man is a rational being, the homosexual says man is a homosexual being. Only man has the capacity to rise to such heights. Heterosexuality is just ordinary. Dogs do it and <laughs> it is nothing special. One should not brag about it. Two camels <laughs> slowly approach each other in the desert. Their riders identically dressed in excessively long Bermuda shorts and topi helmets. They pause and the riders speak in exaggerated British accent. English, of course. <laughs> Foreign Office, Cinema Photography. Oxford, Cambridge. Homosexual, certainly not. Pity. And the two camels continue their separate ways across the desert. I have to talk to many kinds of people. Camels are there. So, if it is not your question, don't be bothered by my answer. Forget all about it. It concerns to somebody else who is far more maturer than you. <laughs> Cannot sex be transcended without going into it? Then what is the need of transcending it? The need of transcendence arises only because you are in it.
you are born in it. You are born out of it. You are a sexual phenomenon. Except Jesus. Nobody is born out of a virgin. And Christians insist too much on the theory that Mary was a virgin. So that they can condemn sex. If Jesus is also out of sex, then it will be difficult to condemn sex. In fact, Jesus is born out of sex as anybody else. The body has to be constituted by male and female energy. Otherwise the body cannot be constituted. To say that Mary was virgin is to say that you have electricity in your house with only one pole, positive or negative. That will be as nonsensical. Electricity needs to have both the poles, positive and negative. Without those two poles, electricity cannot exist, cannot come into existence. Not even in Jesus' house. The electricity will need two poles. The electricity does not care who you are. Even in my house, it needs two poles. You can ask Haridas. He tries, the whole day he tries, continuously working to make electricity virgin. But up to now he has not succeeded. But later on you can write stories about me, that in Bhagwan's house the electricity had only one pole. These stories are always created later on. Because you have to prove that your master was exceptional. Jainas say that Mahavira never perspired. Now what kind of foolishness? He missed the joy of perspiring in the sun. And he lived naked and moved naked. In fact, he must have perspired more than anybody else. If you say, I don't perspire, it may be right, because I live in air conditioning. But Mahavira, moving naked, never perspires. Something seems to be suspicious, fishy. Either he must have been stinking to hide the facts, you have to cover it, that he never perspired. So the whole root is cut. He never defecated, never urinated. How can you think Mahavira pissing? That looks not right at all. These stories are created. These stories simply prove that followers are stupid.
They don't say anything about Mahavira or Christ or Muhammad. They simply prove that the followers that come in the wake are neurotic. Jesus was born out of two sexes as everybody is born. You come out of sex. Your each cell of the body is a sexual cell. Your each cell of the body has the two poles. The feminine and the masculine. The yin and yang. You ask me, cannot sex be transcended without going into it? The only possibility was, if you were not born, if you are born, you have already become a sexual being. Whether you make love to a woman or man, doesn't matter. You can be a celibate, but to be a celibate does not mean to go beyond sexu sexuality. Sexuality has already penetrated. The moment you were in the womb of your mother, you have become a sexual being. There is no way to avoid it. So, all that you can do is repress it. You will become unnatural. And your whole life will be a perverted life. Repression is possible, but transcendence is not possible the way you are asking. I have heard Ellen and Dolph had been married 30 years and never missed a night of connubial bliss. One day Ellen visited her doctor and was told that she must have complete rest and quiet for six months or she would not live. Ellen and Dolph, Ellen and Dolph decided they would stay completely apart during this period. She moved into an upstairs bedroom and he remained downstairs. After three months of complete abstinence and solitude, his willpower collapsed and Dolph started for her bedroom. As he started to climb the stairs, he saw her coming down. Dear, she said, I was just coming down to die. I am glad, honey, he said, because I was just going up to kill you. Don't be mad. Let things be simple. There is no need to kill or die. Repression will make things very complicated in your life. You will become split, schizophrenic. Just on the surface, the celibate, and deep down, just the opposite of it. Transcendence means disappearance of the need of the other. Disappearance of the desire to get lost into a woman or into a man.
And this is possible only if you have understood. And understanding comes only through experience. So I don't say drop out of your relationships. Rather become more meditative in your relationships. Making love, let it be a meditation too. And you will be surprised. If while making love, you also move in a meditative state, you will have great insights what is happening. And the whole urge called sex will become conscious. And once it has become conscious, it can disappear. And it disappears on its own. You need not cultivate, you need not practice anything against it. When it goes on its own, it is beautiful. Yes, sex disappears. One transcends it. But not by fighting it. This is true. And because of this truth, much misunderstanding has happened in the world. Sex disappeared in Buddha's life. Sex disappeared in Christ's life. People have seen sex disappearing. And people have seen that when sex disappears, there is great splendor. Something of the sky dances on the earth. The beyond reaches to the earth. The mundane becomes suffused with the sacred. And because people have seen these things, great desire has arisen in them to, to transcend sex. But then, the whole thing goes wrong. They start fighting with it. It is a secret science. And if you don't move rightly, everything will go wrong. A man is told by a friend that he should pick a wife who is an economist in the kitchen, a lady in the parlor, and a prostitute in bed. They meet some time after the bedding, and the friend asks if he is satisfied with his choice. Well, says the newly wed, I did what you said, but I guess I made a mistake somewhere. The woman I married turned out to be a prostitute in the parlor, a lady in the kitchen, and an economist in bed. Just a little mismanagement. Just a thing here and a thing there, misplaced, and everything goes wrong. Transcendence is never through repression. Transcendence is through understanding. Transcendence is through awareness. Just the other night, I was giving sannyas to a psychoanalyst, a beautiful man. I have given him the name Anand Vitakam. It means bliss beyond sex. And to him I said that if you become meditative while making love, you will come to know few immensely significant things. The first and the most significant thing is 
that when you are going into a deep orgasm, when the climax is happening, there is great joy because in that moment sex disappears. Sex brings you to the orgasmic stage. And once its purpose is fulfilled, sex disappears. In the orgasmic state, there is no sexuality left in you. You are simply throbbing and there is no desire. You are utterly here now. There is no future, no fantasy, nothing. No imagination. And when the orgasm happens, the man is alone. The woman may be there, but he is not aware of the woman. And the woman is alone. The man is there, but she is not aware of the man. Orgasm is individual. It is happening in the inside of the man. It is happening in the inside of the woman. The other has triggered it. But then the function of the other is finished. You are no more interested in the other. In the deep orgasm, you are simply inside yourself. And there is no sex in it. Hence bliss. And after a good orgasm, for hours you will feel very, very blissful. And for hours you will not think of sex again. The desire has left you. What has happened? If you are feeling blissful, the desire cannot be there. If the desire is there, bliss cannot be there. Desire and bliss are never together. And if you meditate deeply while making love, you will become aware that time disappears. At the peak, there is no time. Suddenly you are here now. Only then you know the meaning of here and now. Otherwise you are in the past or in the future. And when time disappears, mind disappears, because mind is another aspect of time, another name for time. Mind is past plus future. When there is no time, there is no mind. Just think, no mind, no time, no sexual desire, and there is great bliss. But people miss it, because they are not alert about it. People go into love-making unconsciously, mechanically. Go consciously, mindfully, remembering what is happening, watching, remaining a witness, and that will release understanding in you. That will release awareness in you, and awareness is transcendence, and awareness is freedom. Enough for today. What Christianity has done in the West, the wrong, Fried was trying to put it right. But Christianity remains superficial. And Fried remains superficial. Why? Because the cure cannot go deeper than the disease. The disease was superficial. The cure cannot be deeper than that.
Tantra does not define sex as a need. It is not. A man can live without sex. It is not a need. Not like food. You cannot survive without food. It is not like thirst. You cannot survive without water. But you can survive easily without sex. Maybe you can survive longer. Sex is not a need like food or thirst or hunger. Sex has a differently total dimension, a different dimension altogether. It is a way to contact the ultimate reality. It is an urge to move to the original source. In ordinary sex it happens only for moments. Even that is rare, because there are very few orgasmic persons left in the world. People have become so much civilized that to be orgasmic seems impossible. A civilized person cannot be orgasmic because he cannot allow himself to be wild. Only a wild person can be orgasmic because orgasm is wild. The better you are civilized, the better you are cultured, sophisticated, educated, the less is the possibility for you to be orgasmic. Then sex is just a relief. It is like sneezing. Nothing much. It is sheer wastage. You accumulate energy and you don't know what to do with your energy. And the energy becomes heavy on you. It has to be thrown out in some way or other. So you go on throwing the energy. But you have lost the language of orgasm. What is the language of orgasm? If you are really orgasmic, you will groan and moan and shout and sing and pray. And thousand and one things will happen when you are making love to your woman or to your man. It is going to be a mad thing. And that is difficult in a civilized world. The whole neighborhood will know that now you are making love. And the people will start phoning the police station that there is danger, one person is gone orgasmic. Yes, you will dance, you will sing, you will utter incoherent sounds, gibberish will come. One never knows what will happen, because you lose control. To be orgasmic means capacity to lose control. The constant control is there. You are simply sitting on your energies, controlling them. This should be, this should not be, this is right, that is wrong. You are continuously doing that, inhibiting, repressing. Only go so far, beyond that is danger. 
Only this much is allowed. How can you be orgasmic? And if you are not orgasmic in other things, you cannot be orgasmic in sex. If in your anger you control, then you cannot be orgasmic in sex. If you can be orgasmic in anger, only then you can be orgasmic in sex. Man is a totality. If you cannot get into a rage, how can you get into love? Impossible. Have you watched it? Knowingly, unknowingly, couples stumble upon the fact that if they want to make love, it is a, a must that they should fight before they make love. So each evening couples fight, become angry. That becomes a little help. A pillow fight is helpful. Your energies start moving. Your juice starts flowing. And you, if you can be a little silly and stupid in anger, then you can be silly and stupid in love too. Then who cares? A natural man is orgasmic in all his emotions. Somebody has asked the question that if people become authentic as you say they should become authentic and natural and if they don't smile because a smile is phony and if they go on screaming and shouting in the streets what will happen to the world? Many things will happen to the world. First, wars will become impossible. There will be no Vietnams and no Israels. Because people will never accumulate that much anger in them that they have to kill and kill millions. Many things will happen to the world if people are natural. Then they will not shout so much as you think they will shout. Right now, if they are allowed to shout, they will shout. But how long? If they are given complete freedom, shouts and abusing and condemnation and fights will start disappearing from the world. It is a vicious circle. It is as if you have been starving a person and you don't allow him to go close to the freeze. And you say, if we allow him, he will eat too much. And you have been starving him. And now you are afraid if you allow him any freedom, he will eat too much, he will fall ill. So you don't allow him to come to the freeze. He has to live by his quota. Whatsoever you give, he has to live. Now, he fantasizes, he dreams what to do, how to reach to the freeze, how to eat more. His whole imagination becomes focused on food. He dreams of food. A famous Sufi story says, Three persons were traveling 
they purchased a Sufi sweet halwa, but they had not enough money and the halwa was very costly. It was not enough for three. So there was great debate who should eat it. They decided that we should do one thing. We all should sleep and in the morning whosoever has dreamt the best dream he will be the person to eat it all. Agreed, they fell asleep. Early morning they related their dreams. One said he was a Christian. He said, I dreamt of Jesus. And Jesus said, come to heaven. I have prepared the place for you. And he was calling me, inviting me. It was such a beautiful dream. I have never dreamt such a thing. And Jesus was so radiant. And I feel so good that I have been accepted by Jesus. The second was a Hindu. He said, this is nothing. I dreamt I have become Krishna. And thousands of gopis dancing around me, beautiful damsels. And I am playing on the flute. It was such a beautiful dream. And the third was a Mohammedan Sufi. And they asked, what about you? He said, Muhammad appeared and said, you fool, what are you doing here? Go and eat the halwa. <laughs> so I have eaten it. Because how can you reject when Muhammad commands? <laughs> if you are hungry, if you are kept starving, then the fear arises that if you are left loose in the streets, you may enter into a restaurant, kill the owner, or do something. But if you are well fed, then nobody does anything like that. This is what has happened for thousands of years. You have been repressed. You have been made more and more phony. Now the fear arises. The questioner is right. The fear arises if people become authentic. And he started screaming and shouting and doing things the way they always wanted to do and were never allowed to do. The world will go mad. Yes, for few years the world will go mad, but that madness will be therapeutic. It will help immensely. After that nobody will go mad ever. Neurosis will disappear, psychosis will disappear, wars will disappear, politicians will become meaningless. Nations and the militaries and the armies will become irrelevant. They will not be needed. That's why the politician and the priest are so much in favor of repressing people. Because they depend on these repressions. 
Wars will not be there. Generals won't like it. Army people won't like it. If there is no Vietnam, then their whole purpose is lost. If there are no nations, then what is the point of having prime ministers and presidents? They are irrelevant. Government becomes irrelevant if people are natural. Less and less government will be needed. So, so many people have investments, and their fear looks right, logical, because for so many centuries men has been repressed that they are afraid that things may explode. Yes, for few years, for one generation at least, there will be great explosion. Then things will disappear. Burton Russell has written that when he was a child, even legs of chairs were covered with cloth. Legs, because they look sexual. And he says, I had not seen any legs of a woman. The garments had to be so long that you cannot see. And Button Russell says, in those days, people used to fantasize about legs, dream about legs. Even a dream about a leg was enough excitement and ecstasy. Now nobody bothers about the legs. Once you have seen men and women naked, you stop worrying about, dreaming about their nakedness. Dreams change. The world needs to be more natural. Then there will be less anxiety. Less fear, less worry. But for a generation, there will be great explosion. After that, things will settle. We have to take that risk. That risk can only save humanity. Otherwise, everybody is going mad. Tantra, attitude about sex is that sex is not a need. It is a cosmic experience. It is an experience of meditation. It is an instinctual return to our ultimate reality, one of the highest forms of meditation. In fifteen minutes to an hour are more of uninterrupted quietness, the tantra seeks a complete loss of the ego. Just see the difference. Freud says it is a gratification for the ego. And that's how it has become. And Freud is not wrong. If you see the modern man, he is right. People go on making love just to prove that they are males, are females, are charming people they are, beautiful people they are. People go on finding new women 
new men just to prove that I am still attractive. My observation of people is that they don't fall in love. Their joy is not love. Their joy is conquest. Once they have achieved a woman, they are no more interested in her. It is not love. Now they are seeking new pasture. Now they want new woman. Now they want to prove again that they are still young, looked at, they have still charisma, magnetism. And the more women they can make love with, the more their ego is satisfied. This is not love. And Freud is right that sex gives ego gratification. But look at Tantra. Tantra has a totally different idea. Tantra says the appeal of sex is because it gives you a moment of egolessness, timelessness, meditation. Because of ego gratification, sex has become very, very superficial. It only scratches the skin. It does not go deep. It has no depth. So many people are worried about premature ejaculation. The reason? They don't love. If they love, then naturally they can make love for longer periods. The more you are in love, the period will be longer. For hours you can be in love because there is no hurry. The ego is not controlling. In a tantra quietus you can remain for hours. It is a kind of melting with the woman or with the man. It is a kind of relaxation into each other's being. And it is meditative because there is no ego. No thought stirs. And time stops. This is a glimpse of God. Tantra is the natural way to God. The normal way to God. The object is to become so completely instinctual, so mindless, that we merge with ultimate nature. That the woman disappears and becomes a door for the ultimate. The man disappears and becomes a door for the ultimate. This is the tantra definition of our sexuality, the return to absolute innocence, absolute oneness. The greatest sexual thrill of all is no search for thrills, but a silent waiting, utterly relaxed, utterly mindless. One is conscious, conscious only of being conscious. One is consciousness. One is contented, but there is no content to it. And then there is great beauty, great benediction.
द क्वेश्चनर आस वट इज तांत्रिक सेक्स ए सेक्स विच इज ए मेडिटेशन बेस्ड ऑन सर्टेन टेक्निक्स इफ यू आर टू मच टेक्निक ओरिएंटेड यू विल मिस द मिस्ट्री ऑफ तंत्र दैट इज सूडो तंत्र दैट इज बेस्ड ऑन टेक्निक्स बिकॉज इफ टेक्निक्स आर देयर इगो विल बी देयर कंट्रोलिंग देन यू विल बी डूइंग इट एंड डूइंग इज द प्रॉब्लम डूइंग ब्रिंग्स द डूअर तंत्र हैज टू बी ए नॉन डूइंग इट कैन नॉट बी टेक्निकल You can learn techniques. You can learn a certain breathing, so that the quietness can become longer. If you breathe very, very slowly, if you breathe without any hurry, then the quietness will become longer. But you are controlling. It will not be wild. and it will not be innocent and it will not be meditation either it will be mind how it can be meditation the mind will be controlling there you cannot even breathe fast you have to keep your breathing slow if the breathing is slow then ejaculation will take longer time because for ejaculation to happen the breathing has to be fast and chaotic now this is technique but not tantra real tantra is not technique but love is not technique but prayer is not head oriented but a relaxation into the heart please remember it many books have been written on tantra they all talk about technique but the real tantra has nothing to do with technique the real tantra cannot be written about the real tantra has to be imbibed how to imbibe real tantra you will have to transform your whole approach pray with your woman sing with your woman play with your woman dance with your woman with no idea of sex don't go on thinking when we are going to bed forget about it do something else and get lost into it and someday love will arise out of that being lost suddenly you will see that you are making love and you are not making it it is happening you are possessed by it then you have your first tantra experience possessed by something bigger than you you were dancing or you were singing together or you were chanting together or you were praying together or meditating together and suddenly you find you both have moved in a new space and when you have started making love you don't know you don't remember either
then you are being possessed by tantra energy and then for the first time you will see a non technical experience when you are making love don't control go in uncontrol go in chaos it will be fearful frightening because it will be a kind of death and the mind will say control and the mind will say jump in and keep control otherwise you will be lost in the abyss of it don't listen to the mind get lost abandon yourself utterly and without any technique you will come to see a timeless experience there will be no two in it oneness a consciousness will be there a lucid passive consciousness will be there you will know what is happening because you will be fully aware but you will not be there awareness will be there you have to imbibe tantra spirit it is not a technique to be learned and the last question if at this very moment i can become awakened or enlightened why then do you allow all those chaotic brainwashing groups group leaders and therapists to happen at the ashram and what connection is there between them and my enlightenment no connection at all but they destroy your if they are needed just to make you alert that nothing is needed and you can become aware only the hard way you cannot become easily aware you have been asleep asleep so long your slumber has been of centuries of millennia those therapy groups simply hit hard on your head they are a kind of hammering to destroy your if going through all those hard arduous trips one day you will realize that nothing is needed that enlightenment has not to be searched that you lose the desire for enlightenment that is their purpose and the moment you don't desire enlightenment it is there it comes when the desire disappears enough for today